All right, hello and welcome to Totem Talks, Season 2, Episode 4. You would not believe how many takes we had to do before we got that At right. At least uh, 20 takes. We It's really hard for us to count to four. It, as you guys, if you're a long-time <laughs> listener, you know how confusing these episode numbers are That's for us. true, that's true. But welcome back to Totem Talks, or welcome to Totem Talks if this is your first time. Glad to have you. So uh, I'll give you a little tiny bit of what we do here. We're taking musical acts, uh, musical solo artists, bands, uh, all of those ilk, and comparing and contrasting them and going over a few of their works to try to figure out who the greatest of all time is. Yeah, and I think we found it. Yes, this we week. did. <laughs> we did. We found it this week. It's our number two artist we're going yes. over for sure. But uh, yeah, so basically we're giving them a, a low score of 0.5 and a top score of... <laughs> Unbelievable that you did that. I love it. Uh, okay. it's, it's so listen, that, that drop actually took a long time to yeah, get. I'm sure that it did. Um, it's really not as easy as I thought it was going to be to pull from. What Was it worth the reward easy. that you just got there? Was it, it was. Worth it? it was okay. worth it for the look in your eyes as you just slowly died inside. I, I died a little bit. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's the actually the top score, 55. I doubt we'll ever hit we'll it. We'll definitely never hit it. But uh, <laughs> it would be amazing if we did. Yeah. Maybe once we go over ourselves because yeah. we're a little oh, biased. Yeah. I mean, wait until the Rush episode. <laughs> the Rush episode, you'll be fighting tooth and nail for any points against Nick. Which isn't even necessarily true. But That's true. The only thing they have going for them is they were around in the 70s, so Nick will automatically love part of them. Well, I like everything about Rush except for Getty Lee's voice and the introduction of synthesizers into their 80s music. You know other what? The introduction that, of synthesizers into that, their 80s music brings us to our artists we're going over today. Yeah, it does actually, as a matter of fact. Uh, so uh, we're going over three artists. Yes, and they you want to say who they are? Forever added to the annals of Totem yes, Talk's history. Love those annals, and they are Elvis Costello, yes, Uncle Cracker, Ooh. and Thin Lizzy. Perfect. Now yes. that we've introduced our acts, right? We should introduce ourselves, right? That makes just sense. I mean, that's just the way. Sure. We, you know, who are you? Uh, I am Pat, and I am Nick, and I am Alex. Excellent. Great work, everyone. Wonderful. We did it. Okay, uh, so that's been an episode of Totem Talks. Yeah, we were really great this we week. We remembered the episode number, and we remembered our names. Uh, that's all you can ask of us. Pretty much the best that we could ever do. Um, but anyway. So anyway <laughs> should I introduce the first artist? Yeah, why don't you take yeah. us into great. Elvis. So Elvis Costello, born Declan Patrick McManus. Which, seriously, hold on a second. I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> You you made your stage name Elvis Costello when your birth name is Declan McManus. Yeah, he has a great, great, what two a great wonderful rock and roll names. Like yeah. seriously, yo, uh, I'm gonna bring Deck McManus on. Like, come on, man. Well, yeah. but, but here's the thing: if if I said, "Oh, Declan McManus is is playing tonight," what what kind of music would you be expecting? I honestly uh, don't know. You wouldn't be expecting new wave. I guess. I mean, so. I, I wouldn't mean, I be expecting new wave from, from Elvis McManus. either. True. When you say Elvis, right. I automatically think of some other guy kind of named Elvis before. Right. I'm which not actually with him. Uh, is important. He's got to be, by the way, the second most famous Elvis, right? Uh, I would probably I mean, agree. Yeah. So anyway, uh, August 25th, 1954, uh, Declan is born at St. Mary's Hospital in Paddington, London, which is, of course, the birthplace of which other British singer? Uh, oh, gosh. Um, is it... Bjork? You are very close. She is Icelandic, I believe. Okay, so I was in the right continent. That is correct. Um, <laughs> but, and in fact, if you... Iceland, uh, even though it's not as cold as the name sounds... Okay. It is surrounded by water, and you know yes. what loves to swim in water? 
Dolphins. Fish. Seals. Sea- oh, oh. Uh, seals. Okay. Seals also yeah. born there. As well as this uh, Canadian actor was also born in this hospital. Uh, Jim Carrey? You're close. You guys are both close. Uh, you're about 24 steps away, each of you. Is it is it Kiefer Sutherland? It is Kiefer Sutherland. Very good. Okay. So you know, so Elvis and I, Seal I definitely picked and up what Kiefer you put Sutherland down there, tour all the time together. Oh yeah, yes. they're, best fr- they're best friends best actually. Friends. Yeah. But uh, anyway, Elvis Costello has you know won multiple awards, Grammys okay. in 1999 and 2020. <sighs> uh, he was ranked the 80th most important artist of all time, and by Rolling Stone in 2004. In 2003, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So he's got quite the career, quite the career, I would say. Oh, okay. I so I was looking something up while right. uh, you were talking. All right, go I was ahead. listening. He wasn't to you. Sure, sure, he yeah. wasn't listening. No, I was listening to you. I was seriously. working so hard. So I looked production. up most famous people named Elvis. Okay. I can only assume this is living people. Sure. Because Elvis Costello was first, and Elvis Presley's not on it. That doesn't make any sense. So Elvis Presley is be, definitely number one of yeah, all time. It has to be most living people. Like, uh, number seven is Elvis person... Duran from the Morning Show. No. He's the, when you say just Elvis, you're talking about Elvis Presley. Yeah, like he owns the first name. Okay, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I it has to just be. It doesn't yeah. say living people, but sure, it but has anyway, to be. Uh, so to be very clear, while we're doing uh, Elvis Costello's dis, uh, discography here, we are strictly talking about his solo work without the attractions, right. without the imposters, not including other artists that he has recorded. I don't know. Albums man. in tandem with? No imposters is kind of sus. I, well, a little. But we decided That's that we should there, split Pat. his. Um, <laughs> we should split up his discography and kind of discuss uh, his work with those other backing bands in their own episodes, give them their own uh, fair shot. Because he's put out over 30 records between all of them. And it's something that it would yeah, be fun he to has revisit. Yeah, been later around on. the block. Yeah, so anyway, the three records we listened to. Uh, we started out with his very first record uh, before even he the attractions were uh, with him, which is My Aim is True. Which was released in 1977. Correct. And then he did a bunch of records with the attractions. Yeah, he did. And then we listened to his 1989 record, Spike. Yes. Which was his 12th overall record. And then this year, well, not this year anymore because we're in 2021. Last but, year. Uh, yeah, so weird. Last year... Uh, he put out Hey Clockface, which is our final piece of listening. So, ever. Uh, yeah, ever. Our final ever. piece ever. We didn't even listen to albums no, for the next two. We didn't finish the rest of the season. We didn't do anything. Um, Alex, what did you think about My Aim is True? So, one of my main gripes with New Wave music as a whole is that okay. a lot of the songs, you know, when you're listening to like The Cure and Talking Heads and all that stuff, a lot of the songs just kind of sound. I don't know why you would do that. The but... same. Um, like they, they all just kind of start to blend together, you know. Mm-hmm. There's not really any difference between them. But one of the things I really liked about My Aim is True is that every song felt different. It felt diverse. Like you, you knew that you were going to a new song, and you, right. like mm-hmm. everything felt different. And I really enjoyed that. And I, I'm, I, I like new wave music, so I'm not trying to diss on it. But I, I really enjoyed this album. Um, there were a lot of songs that were really good on it. My favorite off of it was Allison because I just love yeah. a good cheesy love song. Right, and that was his big hit from the record. Yeah, oh, of course, yeah. yeah. And I I don't think there was really a a low point in the album. Um, there were 
a lot of good songs. A lot of really short songs too, though. Yeah, true. Which, you know, I, I I'm not a fan of short songs because I always it always leaves me wanting more. Mm-hmm. But maybe maybe that's a good thing, wanting to leave me with yeah, more. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. Pat, do you want to say some feelings? Yeah, sure. I'll talk about it. Um, I really did thoroughly enjoy this album. So, I mean, a couple little uh, facts. Uh, so he was 23 when this album was recorded. So he's just a little young boy. Yeah, small small child. Uh, although older than our child in the band, Alex. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, and this is actually recorded in six four-hour sessions. Yeah. The very. whole album. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, he would basically One called day. out of work, like, a couple days in a row. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And just would and, go and, and he was working as like a, a data entry guy, right? Yeah, he was. It was something where he just hated his job and was just like, and you can feel that on the album. A lot of it right. is like, I hate working my nine to five. I want to be famous. And he wrote it, and it worked. Yeah. Uh good for him. I really did enjoy, um, like Alex had said, the different feels of the songs. Um, he went kind of like really punchy, kind of like. Not punk, but like that feel of like that angsty punk feel. Yeah, there are definitely elements of it that you can tell. You can tell right. that he draws from a lot of different genres and whatever he does. Yeah, and then he uh, he also had like some nice reggae and watching the detectives. Um, he had some like ballady stuff. Allison was like a nice little soulful mm-hmm. kind of ballady thing. Um, he also had like a nice bluesy throwback to end the album and uh, waiting for the end of the world. Yeah. Uh, all in all, a solid, you know, multi-genre album that uh, was a great introduction to him. And unlike the last few artists, um, I don't think he has the strongest voice. Right. But zero detraction from his voice for me. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm right there with you because that was actually one of my biggest notes was, you know, despite the weaker vocals, there's nothing about this record that I don't yeah. like. You know, like he pulls it off somehow. And I just want to clarify, you mean weaker quality, because he has actually a very powerful voice. Yeah, no, right. I mean, I'm talking about quality, yeah. Yeah, I just, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not a good singer, but he makes it work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is this was a great listen for me, too. I really loved it. I thought Less Than Zero, which is the other one that was kind of a hit on this record, was a great choice to um, be the lead single. I mean, it, it was the, the perfect thing to get him on the map. But uh, Sneaky Feelings was one of those like deeper cuts that I thought was really a great song, too. Oh, for sure. Um, I also found it interesting just looking through who did play with him on this record. There were people from Huey Lewis in the News. There were members of The Rumor, uh, like Graham Parker in The Rumor. And there were also people who played with the Doobie Brothers, like all mixed together on this record, which I thought was was pretty cool. And I think that maybe even helped him develop that style that's so familiar yet all of his all his own at the same time it's new wave it's punk it's power pop it's all of these things you hear it and it feels like you're home with these songs like this is very comfortable and you know it but at the same time it's a sound that only elvis costello had yeah it's hard to to quantify that really i get what you're saying though it makes sense yeah but it it was great it was just a a great overall experience for me so, shall we move on to Spike? Yeah. Okay, great. So, I'm going to start with this. Uh, this record was phenomenal. I mean, this was so good. I, I had no idea what to expect uh, coming into this, because like I mentioned last week, Elvis Costello was one of kind of my weaker points uh, in terms of my knowledge. So, I knew a handful of songs but I didn't really know fully what to expect. And this was genius. 
I mean, his mixture of genres and musicians and the fact it, what really tells the whole story of this album is that he records it in partially in Dublin, partially in New Orleans, partially in Hollywood, and finally partially in London. And the influences of the kinds of music that developed in all those different places, uh, as well as the different musicians that he got to join him. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, it's one of the best albums we've listened to on this podcast. It's a five out of five stars from me. I mean, Deep Dark Truthful Mirror is just incredible. Great piano track, great Absolutely. horns, brilliant lyrics, just a, really uh, a clever writer. Not just a clever writer of lyrics, but a clever writer and composer of music. You know, when we started off the season with Jethro Tull and how we kind of wax poetic about how great they were at blending genre after genre after genre and really incorporating the whole gamut of like musical ideas in the world. Oh, totally. I didn't think we were going to hit anyone anytime soon who could do that. And Elvis Costello, I mean, on this record in particular, really hits that kind of level of compositional greatness to me. Um, yeah, I would agree. And feel really cool looking through uh, members of the Dirty Dozen Brass Band played in his New Orleans songs. Uh, Paul McCartney, who uh, co-wrote a ton of songs with Elvis Costello, and they worked together all the time, was on this record. Chrissy Hine from The Pretenders was also doing harmony vocals in his London sessions. Uh, which it goes to show how respected he is too, that a lot of these artists want to come and be a part of his records. So I could just go ahead and name every song, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let everybody else, you know, get their thoughts in. But just this was an elite album to me. All right, Alex, why don't you tell us what you thought about Spike? Well, I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be real with the audience for a second. I I I I, I messed up. I listened to the wrong Elvis Costello albums, so I had to do my the, listening. The it's audience hard to find good to help these days, isn't it, Patrick? Yeah, the, the audience is used to our, our other hosts listening to the wrong stuff. And so I had to listen to Spike at, like, 1 in the morning last night. So I didn't wow, remember. six hours after Nick went to bed. Yeah. I, yeah, a whole – Nick was waking up when I was, yeah, when true. I, <laughs> he when was, I was yeah. listening to it. But um, I, I do remember – so, so some of it was was a little foggy from my memory. Um, the first half of the album, though, when I was still lucid, was amazing. Um, yeah. I loved "Let Him Dangle" was an amazing mm -hmm. song. Right. Um, my favorite off of it was actually "God's Comic." That's a great um, song. And and just everything he's doing with the in terms of lyrics and also with telling the story and and having the music behind it. And yeah, the harmonies and instrumentation on that song are tremendous. Yeah, it's wonderful. And and that that kind of one of the things I really like about Elvis Costello is you can tell he's he's all about the words first, and and mm -hmm. the, like how it fits into the song isn't really, you know, right. uh, important to him because you'll hear him sometimes smashing words into a melody, like kind of trying to fit it in where it can come in, and maybe elongating it sometimes, which you know you can tell he's really thinking about the lyrics that he's writing. Yeah, he's thinking about every aspect. Exactly, like he really pieces these together exactly right with every little part that everything's doing you know very oh, yeah. specific 100 percent. it's and, all deliberate and you can and you can see it and it, it really pays off on this album um and veronica is an amazing song and all, mm -hmm. all the harmonies in veronica yeah i think that was his biggest american hit it was yeah, yeah. co-written by paul of course paul yeah. mccartney eek 
Excellent attempt. Hey, listen, I do an amazing British accent. Uh-huh. You just you just haven't heard right. it. All right. Well, until Pat takes over, I will mention uh, that just like Paul McCartney, Elvis Costello is also vegetarian. Like me, they're all vegetarians together. So uh, we're, we're that, giving him... Was ni- that your six degrees? No, but get ready for that in one second. Oh, uh, they actually worked on an ad campaign for Linda McCartney's vegetarian food brand together. So that's a thing. But now I'll do the legit six degrees of Totem Talks. Okay, great. So uh, let's look back to episode three. <laughs> just of just the real first quick. Season. You don't have to comment on the drop. Uh, okay, I won't. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, uh, we've, got, yeah. we've gotten to that drop. Wonderful yeah. drop. Right. Listen, one of our things was people wanted to hear yeah, no, more I love stuff. It. I love it. So I'm going to do more stuff. All right, it's just getting used to it uh, in time. <laughs> okay, but anyway, okay. episode three, we talked about Todd Rundgren, and Pat told this lovely story about Todd Rundgren's uh, daughter, Liv Tyler, yes. who was not his daughter. Correct. She was Steven Tyler's daughter. That is uh, true. And there are all the drama surrounding that. Well, uh, Elvis Costello was also in a relationship at one point, on again and off again, with the mother of Liv Tyler, just like Steven Tyler and Todd Rundgren were. So there you go. Whose name is? Something, BB something? BB, I think it's Buell, B-U-E-L-L. That sounds right. Wow. Buell, Buell. Yeah. So, yeah, she is uh, not a groupie. Okay, but seriously, so she's not a groupie, but, I mean, we have to say, so Nick and I were talking about it because we're like, wow, that's... Yeah, what very impressive. Odds? Elvis Costello, Todd Rundgren, Steven Tyler. But that's not all. That is that is far from all, my friend. Yeah, I mean you got because BB uh... Buell has been romantically linked to such people as David Bowie, Mick Jagger, Iggy Pop, Jimmy Page. Yeah, that's so. What I'm what I'm <laughs> hearing is that if we want to make it as a band, you have to sleep with BB Buell. Uh, Apparently, I mean, I think she's sixty-seven now. That's George's territory as the only single <laughs> member of the band. So that's true. Yeah. As the single member, George will have to do that. Yeah. Although I'm sure BB is a wonderful uh, human. I'm being. sure that she is. I have no and, doubt. And you know, we this do not judge was in people. No way intended. That was just interesting information. Yeah, it is just an interesting fact. I mean, yeah. But she did very firmly reject the label of being a groupie, Correct. and she said that. She actually did like have a connection with each of the members of those of that musical kind of Mount Rushmore. Sure. Yeah, quite the Mount Rushmore. All right, Pat, talk about Spike and then take us into the end here. Sure. Um, I will talk about Spike. I loved it. Yes. Very good. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I agree with what you were saying. Um, the lyrics particularly stuck out to me. He is very, very careful when he writes to tell the story he wants to tell. It's very obvious. It's very noticeable. Um, Deep Dark Truthful Mirror might be my favorite one. So good. Uh, God's Comic is also amazing. Mm-hmm. My only note for that was just lyrical brilliance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Getting a chance to like hear that story. I mean, just ugh. Um, I did particularly enjoy the Paul tracks. Um, so Veronica and uh, Pad's Paws and Claws. Both of them had a very, very Beatly sure, yeah. feel. And which Paul, is cool. Paul played bass on those, right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, and it was just really cool to hear like a nineteen eighty nine song that still had Beatles feels yeah. and still had Paul writing on it. Because mm-hmm. at this point even the songs Paul was writing weren't necessarily Beatley. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh so it was just really cool to me. Um every single song I listened to on this album felt different and felt really well crafted. Yeah. 
Uh, and a lot of times when, when that happens, there's something to complain about. Um, for instance, I forget who it was, but we listened to an album that was similar to this, like beautifully crafted songs all the way through. And my only complaint was like, I, the order of the tracks felt weird. Okay. Mm. Sure. Like in terms of like it being a story all the way through. Right. I guess. Um, this one, I don't have any complaints. No, not His voice is stronger on this album as well. Mm -hmm. Um, or he just writes for it better. Right. Um, either way, good job on that. Good job on the storytelling. Good job on keeping the music interesting, even on these slowed down ballad songs. All in all, very impressive. Agreed. Now I'll take us into Hey Clockface. So this song came out in October of 2020. Yeah, it hasn't. It's only been with us for a few months. Yeah. So I, I mean, let's just get it off the off the bat. Much older, of vocal course. deterioration. It's a thing. It, you know, it's not their fault. Um, his is less than others, especially that we've listened to this season. Mm -hmm. He's not Ian Anderson. No. He's not ZZ. Uh, his voice has still got stuff in it. Yeah, I one, one of the things I actually commented on about it is that he, I feel like his voice hasn't really deteriorated Yeah, I didn't much notice much of a difference on because So there definitely is a difference. But what he does on this album that I really enjoyed is if you listen them to them back to back, he doesn't have any songs where he really projects that power in his voice anymore. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, which is where I hear it. Gotcha. And instead what he does is he has songs like Newspaper Pain and and um the la uh, what is it? Uh what uh what is it that I need that I don't already have? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And stuff like that where he like is more reserved in his vocal. Yeah. And is is way more storytelling. Uh there was a couple kind of question marks for me on this one. Uh No Flag was a bit weird. Revolution number 49 was a little weird. I don't love songs where they just talk like this in the beginning. Yeah, of the right. Ra radio is everything too then. That that uh, one yeah. was all just talk. <laughs> radio is everything too. It's, yeah, it's just yeah, when when they're just talking like this and it's just the story and it's just they tell me I have it's a just face a little weird. It's a little off-putting. Yeah, although I will say he incorporated more Eastern influences on Revolution Forty Nine that kept it very interesting for me. Yes. Even while he was so talking what? Through. For me, the only thing I can say for Revolution Forty Nine, and I'm sure this is what he was going for, the bass kind of hum mm -hmm. that just kept slowly increasing through that song, mm -hmm. that just built and built and built and built, and the whole time I'm listening to him, just like. What's happening? What's happening? <laughs> um, I'm sure that's what he was going for, and it was beautifully done. Uh, just not really for me. I didn't love sure. it. Uh, but all in all, Elvis Costello, very talented. This album was the first one where I had question marks. But yet again, you if you're known for experimenting and pushing the limits of genre all through your career, I'm not going to like every song. Right. I can't. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. So that's that's my whole piece on right. Hey Clockface. And mine is very similar in that this is probably the first time where there are any tracks that didn't land with me fully. Right. But I, there was never a time where I didn't appreciate what he was doing. There yeah. was never a time when I wasn't like, oh, he's always trying to push the boundaries of music. He's always trying to compose with every new possible resource and idea that he is confronted with, you know? So I have total respect for that. 
Uh, where it really lost me, though, was Hedy O'Hara Confidential. That's Sure. Uh, but I thought there were some really great highlights in this record, too. Uh, I Do, Zula Song, I thought was really good. I thought the final track, Byline, was also a, a really strong one. Uh, but all in all, it was it made sense right. for, for Elvis Costello to be here. you know. And I say that not in the, like, oh, it's very reminiscent of everything else he's ever done. Uh, I mean it in the sense that he is showing that he is continuing to grow. He is continuing to add in new influences. Uh, and that's all really great as as far as i'm concerned like as an artist i find him remarkably interesting yeah and i mean listen and the words are still you know very good and his arrangements are still very good even on the songs that aren't as good right his storytelling is not deteriorated at all exactly uh and and to be very clear i will always appreciate you taking a risk yeah and having it fail totally Rather than playing it safe and failing that way. Agreed. All right, so Alex, why don't you wrap us up, and then we'll start grading. I think I might like this album a little bit more than you guys. Okay. Probably not okay. by much, but just a little bit more. Sure. Um, I thought there were a lot of songs that were really good. Um, like Nick said, I Do was a great song. Yeah. Um, I really like They're Not Laughing At Me Now. I uh, I forgot to highlight that one as well. I really did like that yeah, one. Yeah, I think that's a great one. And, and he gets pretty high in the end there to kind of mm-hmm. show off some of his vocals. Um, one of the things that I think is is interesting with this album is what happens to with a a lot of older artists is that their last album will be a lot more solemn and have a lot more you know kind of yeah. uh, slow songs, acoustic songs, and and this kind of fit that bill where yeah. it, it's a lot more songs that feel kind of reflective and and uh slow so i i think you know i wouldn't be surprised if this is his one of his last albums because i i think that's kind of a, a note he's ending on um but and then some of the other songs too kind of felt too randy newman for my tastes like hey hey there was cl- definitely hey clock some of face. that in it yes so, to be fair yeah, I really actually randy wrote, newman. uh very very randy newman on that one yeah to be fair Randy Newman's been singing that way since he was 20 years true. old. Yeah, <laughs> true. No, definitely. I and it's and it's not a bad song. No. It's not at all. Just not, you know, it's just like two Randy Newman for for Elvis Costello. Understood. Understood. Okay. So, let's get to grading. Cool. So this one is going to be tough. Uh cultural impact. It's interesting cuz like I said he was kind of a blind spot for me. Yeah. I always knew Elvis Costello existed. Uh when we did some of this listing, I recognized several songs. I know some of the other songs he did with the attractions and whatnot, but I'm trying not to factor that much in. Um, I don't know. Where do you guys land on Cultural Impact? I'm I'm wondering. So, listen, for me, and we always differ on Cultural Impact on what we how we weigh it. Right. I always weigh the Cultural Impact as how many people have heard of this person? What has changed in people's lives because of this person? Right. Things of that nature. Sure. Um, I tend to think of what their impact was on the art of music going right. forward more than, than that other stuff. But and I think both are, are, valid. are valid. I agree. I think in terms of the overall world, mm-hmm. Elvis Costello is known. Yes. He's People definitely known. know his name. I mean, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's won Grammys. Like, he's not nobody. He's a yeah. big deal. 
people know his name. I mean, his first three albums all appeared on the list of 500 yeah. greatest albums of all time. As they should yeah. have. Spike should have, too. But. Yeah. And, I, and I he won a Grammy as recently as, like, 2018, I think, right? With his mm-hmm. 2018 album. I could I be wrong about that. You're right. If I'm wrong about that, cut it out. But. Fair enough. I will not. I will yeah. make you look foolish. Oh, dang. Um, uh, but, but seriously, like, I think that he's known. I think that yeah, he's... definitely. You know, he's ranked in the 100 greatest artists of all time. As I he mean, should be. He's one of the British cultural icons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that's... and all that stuff seems very well earned to me. I, I would agree. Uh, I mean, just uh, this is one of those things. It's the same thing as Sade previously. Yeah. Where, like, sometimes things we miss missed you. him, yeah. and we we never claimed that we automatically knew every artist going in. That's right. one of the reasons we wanted to do this exactly. podcast. Yeah, definitely never missing him again after this. Because, For sure. Yeah, we're all we've all been converted into fans. So, what do we think? He, um, I will say, he's also been in a ton of TV yeah. and film. Okay. Really. So, Mostly as himself. I mean, we're all in agreement that it's over average, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is tough. Uh, yeah. I, I would say like a six, because at least for me, and I'm the youngin' of the group, yeah, so I, I can't really talk for everyone, but I knew the name Elvis Costello, and I might have heard a couple of his songs on the radio, um, but I didn't know too much of his work, personally. Um, but like the name is very household. Like, yeah, yeah cause definitely. Because if you, if you know... You know Elvis Costello, so yeah, you just know. Him. Yeah, You're just so him. I would I would say six, not really. Okay, it, it's household. Pat, how do you feel about that? I'm gonna argue for like maybe like a six point two or three. I'm right there with you. Yeah, just I'm, because I'm of the, just can, because of some of the stuff he's there. appeared in have yeah. been like Thirty Rock, Talladega Nights, like right. popular mm-hmm. things. Yeah, and um, and here's something that I would like to see. Does Elvis Costello or Rivers Cuomo? Look more like Buddy Holly. Um, now, not no. Well, I mean, when they were in their twenties. Okay, so when they were all around the same age. Yeah, I. It's close. It's close, right? Because he had that same look. He wore the Buddy Holly yeah. glasses. And anyway. it's real close. Yeah. A young Elvis Costello may look more like Buddy Holly than Rivers right? Cuomo. Yeah, and I, I agree, think that's I agree worth with that. Six point three. Both of them look more like Rivers well. Cuomo than Nick Nolte. That's mm. true. I'm um, not sure where that and, came from. But, but, but both of from them, the Buddy Holly story. That's who played uh, it. No, Gary. No, Busey Gary did. Busey. Yeah, that's they're the same person. Well, <laughs> all right. I'm not going to argue. that. He also anyway. looks more like him than Gary Busey. Yes. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> although breath- I've heard he's done wonderful in that film. Uh, right. So, Breath of Work. When you tear down uh, all, or when you tear out all the stuff that's with the attractions and imposters and other other artists. You get 11 fully solo records. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one that we looked at was Platinum. Yep. Uh, Spike was gold. And he did have a bunch of uh, silvers and golds in the UK as well. So they definitely did sell uh, to have a Platinum and a gold, to have you know those thresholds being hit in the UK as sure. well is meaningful. I think we all agree that the work is very, very good. Very solid. Yes. Uh, and 11 is nearly Almost double. Almost double average, yeah. So I am probably looking in anywhere between the high sixes and low sevens. Okay. Um... When you double the number, when you hit thresholds, and when your work is quality, and not just quality, but I felt like kind of groundbreaking in a lot of ways because sure. of the way he blended styles. 
All I right. think you deserve um, that. I think I think I, he deserves that. Yeah, right I'm agreeing seven. with you. I think yeah, maybe right at a seven. Right at a seven. Okay. I'm uh, and it's tough because comparing all of his music would probably be much higher. Yeah. Right. That, right, right. I, that, I feel like Breath of Work is where he suffers because we're just because comparing we're his it solo yeah, work. That's true. But I feel like he'll excel in other categories. Absolutely, and, and we're gonna enjoy it when we're doing the attractions right. later on, and everybody will be happy that we get to talk about all of this again. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, instrumental talent. Here's what I'll say. Um, he is a multi-instrumentalist. He is solid on a lot of different instruments. It never occurred to me that his playing was what made his songs great. It was his arranging that was just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, not taking anything away from him as a performer. Right. He is he is below average as, as singer, an instrumental definitely. slash singer. Yeah. He 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 doesn't push the boundaries of any instrument he plays. Playing a bunch of them, it does help. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his vocals are subpar. That they are. And he just writes around that, which yeah. is very clever. So what does that put you at? I'm I would be willing to give him like a four four, because. Okay. Be, are you are you arguing that that's too low? I'm arguing it's a little bit too low. Uh, see, I just I'm trying not to just take you know i understand that he did things with it that disguised mm-hmm. it but that's not the playing that's the right okay alex what what do you think um i'm uh, i'm maybe going a little bit high here i'm, I'm thinking you always go way too high i know I'm, I'm going uh uh four seven four eight i i, I was probably know. closer I, to like a four seven yeah. i don't think and and maybe because you're a singer and maybe because i can stand a little bit more because i love getty lee i don't think his vocals are that bad you're, you're making them seem a lot are worse bad. than they are. No, but I'm not saying they're bad. So my whole thing is when I look at instrumental good. talent. Well, he can't sing. He can't sing. When he's I just, look at instrumental talent. He's just a singer. It's yeah. one of those things that there are other bands who what they do is they make it so you don't even notice them playing the instrument or singing the song. Yeah. That's the average. Sure. The average is I don't even, it doesn't even pull into my head that you're performing the song. Okay. You are just performing it. It's just a song happening. Right. Above that means, oh, I took notice of a really good note you did. I took notice of some really good singing there, some really good guitar work. Mm-hmm. None of that happens from Elvis Costello. Okay. So he writes extremely well. His next two categories are going to skyrocket. Gonna, yeah, absolutely. So what do we say a four and a half kind of average? I would, feelings? I mean, uh, that might be my ceiling because like, when you have something like this where, like, nothing he played ever stuck out right. and his vocals had noticeable misses, that's when sure. you go under the average. Right, and we gave him a half a point under the average. Right. Yeah. And I think it, the fact that he played a ton of different instruments throughout on all these records did help him stay Right, above which is why instead of going at, like, a four, yeah, I was up right. a little above that. Okay, so songwriting talent, again, I mentioned it when we talked about Spike. I did not think we would see anyone who was as brilliant of a composer and an arranger is Ian Anderson for a long time. Right. And then here's Elvis Costello. And yeah. he's like right on par with some of the great arrangers we have had on the podcast. I would definitely agree with you. What did we give uh Jeff We Rowe? gave Tull a 9.2. So I am under that for Elvis Costello. Not by a ton. Not by a ton. I'm in the Not eights though. Okay. And my reasoning is I felt like 
the stuff that Elvis Costello did was just slightly, very, very slightly uh, less kind of impressive at parts. Okay. I thought that he was really, really good at hiding his limitations as perform- yeah. as a player and a singer and really, really good at conveying his his words through music. Okay. Um, as in, like, I know what Alex yeah. was saying, where he kind of was focused on the words first, but he did a really good job of word painting yes. throughout. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the only the only thing that detracts a little bit when you compare it to someone like Jethro Tull mm-hmm. is Jethro Tull was writing for much more accomplished musicians. Oh, yeah, definitely. And still definitely. managed to make everybody individually shine. That's true. Uh, I will say, just a real quick note on what you're saying, word painting, to define that for a lay audience. Yeah, yeah definitely. Would be... You know, when you create sounds in your music that are reminiscent of words and feelings and ideas. So, like, when you get the chugging sounds on, like, Folsom Prison Blues that makes you think a train is coming, that's word painting. Right. That's a great example of it on Folsom. So, anyway. uh, So, how about an 8.8? That's exactly Uh, where I I was. I think that's great. Perfect. Okay. That's exactly where I was. Write it about an 8.8. Perfect. Uh, Poetic talent. So, this one's higher. Um, it's very good. Yeah, it's. I mean, he is incredible at storytelling. Yeah, mm-hmm. and doing it in a way where you are so engaged in the story that he's telling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I'm not willing to go up into the the highest we've been. No, he's not Phil Oaks. He he's no Phil yeah. Oaks. But I I mean, he's he, he's in the nines. Do we think? I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah, I I'm mean, okay I would it. put him in like the low mid nines, maybe yeah. like a nine three. I was typing in nine three as yeah. you said it. I think we're all we're all in agreement with this. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's he's very incredible with that yeah. stuff. Okay, Alex, I believe you told me before we started that you had an argument to give Elvis Costello a point one in X Factor. So the floor is yours to argue, sir. Thank you, Nick. Um, so Elvis Costello, great songwriter, you know, great. Well, okay. Great songwriter. Motion pass. Give him a point one. All right. Um, He wrote some songs for movies. He actually has has an album out called In Motion Pictures, which is all the songs he wrote for movies. One of which is a song that's in my favorite movie of all time, The Big Lebowski. (laughs) And and another song, he wrote, or he did a cover of a song called She for Notting Hill, which is, uh, according to Spotify, his most listened to song. Which is kind of really? bizarre to me. Yeah. And so I'm thinking that's at least worth worth a little something that he, he's he's very popular for uh his films. Alright, what do you think about that, Patrick? Um that combined with the BB Buell thing. Okay. I'll give him some X Factor. Alright, you wanna give Let's him the point one? Uh Yes. All right. Let's give him a point which one is, X factor. Which is perfect for his score, which we'll get I, to. I will say point zero eight of that is the BB Buell thing, and then yeah. point, uh, point zero uh, yeah, two no, is what that. Alex said. Okay. Uh, let's roll on to Uncle Cracker. All right. So Uncle Cracker. Everybody's favorite uncle. <laughs> uh, so Uncle <laughs> Cracker, born Matthew Schaefer, uh, is an American singer songwriter known for his country and rock music. Great football player too. Uh, he, he's been uh, he's been active from 1987 to the present day. He's a former a former turntablist for Kid Rock's backing group, the Twisted Brown Trucker. Uh, let's just score <laughs> what else, him. What else can you say? Yeah, <laughs> I think we've heard everything we need to hear. Uh, so we listened to three of his albums. We listened to Double Wide 
which was released in 2000. We listened to No Stranger to Shame, which is from 2002, and then Midnight Special from 2012. Yeah. Um, we did. We listened to those. We got I, through them. I guess I will go first. I would love to hear what you had to say. Um, my mother always told me, if you have nothing good to say, don't, don't say, say anything. anything. So I secede my turn. Excellent. No, I hated it. Um, it was awful. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Cracker is not a good artist. He should probably stop recording professionally. That's a. <laughs> I don't know if I could say much more. Um, no, it was terrible. Um, seriously. Uh, However, if Uncle Cracker very... wants to come on the podcast, we'll hear him out. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. We will. Uh, very explicit. So seriously, uh, we try to keep it family friendly on the show, and we are going to continue to do that, which is why we're telling you this album is very explicit. Right, right from the intro. Right from the intro. These the quote unquote song, the first track intro, which is just a conversation. Right. Uh so seriously, what you wouldn't expect from Uncle Cracker, if I were to tell you that Uncle Cracker's first album is like eighty percent hardcore rap, you probably with wouldn't have been expecting that. It? Yeah, with <laughs> country music behind it. So uh this album was almost exclusively written uh with with Cracker and Kid Rock together. What a combination. Uh, what a combination that was. Uh it does it does include his by far most famous song Follow Me, which was also written by Michael Bradford, who wrote a couple songs on this, which were the ones that I called the tolerable songs. Right. Follow Me is, you know, I wouldn't say good. I don't I don't necessarily like it or agree with the message of but the it's song a solid pop tune yeah definitely uh so all throughout uh he was doing this thing where he would have a super generic country hook and then as the verse came in it was just like inner city rap right which doesn't fit there was no like blending of those two at all there was no like country underneath the rap it was just rap then country uh, that was very true on the song Heaven, uh. which had three rap verses, one by each of the following. The first verse was by Cracker himself. The second verse Cracker was by himself. Paradigm. And the third verse was by Kid Rock. Did they just get worse as they went on? Um, they No, Paradigm was, was good. Was the best was good. of the three. Yeah. yeah. Paradigm could rap. Uh, Uncle Cracker sure. could not rap. Uh, and then uh, Kid Rock just shouldn't continue to make music. I agree. Him and Uncle Cracker should probably just both retire. I agree. Uh, and that would be good for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really all I have. I mean, seriously, the juxtaposition of listening to this like super southern country sound mixed with like I'm from Detroit, I'm really bad, bad. I, yeah. I almost, I almost cursed. Right. Uh, bad butt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was bad. Uh, to quote Spy Kids 2, the Which whole album was full of shiitake mushrooms. Right. Excellent. Excellent quote. Um, I have very little to add to that, but yeah. what I will say is, oh my God, is he the luckiest man ever that Follow Me was the lead single? Oh my because God. Because seriously. No one would have bought this record if any other song was the lead single. Seriously. Yeah. 
I mean, it's shout that's out. the only reason that anyone bought this. It's the only reason it was popular at all. And people probably heard that song and then they were like, oh my God, what have I done? At what cost have I acquired the song Follow Me? Absolute <laughs> shout out to Atlantic Records for making yeah. that the lead single. Yeah, it was whoever at Atlantic or Lava Records, whichever one of you actually came out with this single, whoever's choice that was, you saved this man's career. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. That's really it's right. just I mean, so bad. This, this record was was so bad to listen to. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, the only kind thing that I could try to say was the concept of doing an introduction where you kind of have a conversation about the album you're yeah. going to make or something is not a terrible concept and it's theoretical that somebody right. who could write could have made that an interesting part of yeah, an album and, and I want to be this very was a clear horrible way to execute that idea I want to be very clear I am not a hater of rap music I'm not a hater of country music I wouldn't necessarily even be a hater of the two of them together well when you put country and rap together what do you get Uncle Crap, crap. Uh, I get it. I knew crap. it. I knew where yeah. you were going. Uh, and I'm not even a hater of rappers from Detroit. Um, there's a very prominent rapper from Detroit. Yeah, he's quite good, actually. Quite good. Um, yeah, his name is what Skittles. Uh, Mr. Mathers. Yes. Uh, but anyway, it just yeah. all of it was just combined into a like a big pool of terribleness. Yeah. I. Alex, really, I think bad. Alex really loved it though. So I'll let yeah. Him why don't you tell us how much you love this album? All right. Listen. I'll focus on the positives. All right, next. He's over. Okay, moving the, on to the next record. The first song was okay. <laughs> Follow oh. Me is okay. Everything else, horrible. Yeah. The it, only... he, it sounds like he's trying to be the Beastie Boys, but also trying to be Blake Shelton. No, yeah, no, it sounds like it sounds like if Eminem tried to release a country album and, and it's, yeah. it's absolute but, garbage but it, but also didn't write his own songs because yeah, eminem, can, eminem write. can write but like this guy definitely tried to be eminem but also tried to emulate kid rock and it didn't work for either one of them nope. he doesn't have that mm -hmm. like edge that eminem has he doesn't have whatever kid rock has yeah i don't know i don't know and, and if you, and if you and i'm not trying to be mean to the guy if, if you look up a picture of uncle cracker <laughs> he doesn't look like he doesn't look like he should be rapping like he that. doesn't no he looks like like i his name is perfect because he does look like somebody's uncle somebody's yeah, uncle exactly some guy <laughs> all right alex take us into no stranger to shame all right no stranger to shame was his follow-up album to double wide yeah which i think was possibly a lot more palatable uh it was released in 2002 um and this was the last album to feature rapping and it, it mm -hmm. featured it on the opening song, um, Keep It Coming, and the closing yeah. song, No Stranger to Shame. Um, needless it's to almost say, like somebody told him not to do it. Yeah, ne yeah. needless to say, I, I skipped both of the rapping songs because I yeah. couldn't <laughs> bear it. Um, and this album was was a lot more uh, palatable. I tried, mm -hmm. I tried to take out some of the good in it. Um, Drift Away is a good song. Um, I Do has some funky bass lines, um, which... If we're going to get into the bassist of I Do, we have a Six Degrees of Totem Talk. Oh. The bassist and producer of the album, Michael Bradford, who, who co-wrote a lot of the songs with, uh, with uh, Uncle Cracker, um, 
he produced a lot of a lot of artists such as Kid Rock, uh, Madonna, and the Connection, Deep Purple. Ooh. And he wow. actually yeah, he I was actually just thinking about those other artists like. What has gone wrong? And 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 the the album that he produced with Deep Purple apparently was was a really a, a return to form for them, hmm. um, where a lot of uh, critics were like, "Up, oh, Deep Purple's back! They've got their, you know, groove going again." Um, and he played bass on a Ringo Starr album uh, called "Why Not?" I believe in like 2010 or something like that. Yeah, so it was. He, he's he's a great bass player. I I he had a really nice sound and some funky yeah. licks, um, which. I don't know if that's a good thing that I'm I'm complimenting the bass player more than I'm complimenting Anything the that, artist of the yeah. of the album. Um, none of the songs stood out to me. They all felt very boilerplate. Um, Thunderhead Hawkins, you know, was mm. okay. Um, that it has one of my favorite things in songs, um, where they if ended? you if you yeah. if you really want a line to come across. You have you, you you sing the line, and then you have a backing vocal that screams the line, yeah. and it re- it really gets the point across. So yeah, you know. So Nick, can I say what one is, thing real yeah, quick? What, you uh, can say just everything. Going back, it it's just been sitting in my head ever since you mentioned the Ringo album that Michael Bradford played on, and it was just so perfectly titled. Like I can imagine that everyone's reaction every time Ringo comes out with a new album is like, eh, why not? Yeah, like, that eh, makes sense. Eh, I guess. Sure, this is it. Oh, and another <laughs> bass player connection. Oh, go ahead. Um, the bass player on To Think I Used to Love You mm-hmm. is the bass player for um, James Taylor when he tours. Oh, very cool. Wow. Well done. Yeah, I, for, I, for, I, for, I forget his name. Oh, but good work anyway. Yeah, thank you. Okay, I, I have little to add to what you had to say. I mean, I do think that generally it's more palatable. I think that's a good word yeah. to use that... Most of the songs are more palatable than the first album. Uh, I'm still never going to go back to it. And here's the other thing about this record that kind of bothers me. The big hit being his cover of Drift Away by Dobie Gray. Yeah. He didn't do anything at all differently with that song. Hold up. That song's a cover? Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, uh, no. The album totally sucks. Okay. That's a yeah. Cover. Do- I mean, Dobie Gray <laughs> wrote, uh, or he didn't write the song, Mentor Williams wrote the song, but Dobie Gray performed it. And then, yeah. Like, I hear that, like, the same exact little guitar riffs, the same exact little keyboard riffs. It's like. So, the only thing that I will give him credit for, I'll let you finish your okay, thing. Okay. Because Dobie Gray is who sang the backing vocals on his, on Uncle Crack. Yeah. Version. Right. Right. So at least sure. he was still involved. Which that was, was a like, nice little nod. The, it was the one thing that was different about the song was that Dobie Gray sang the backing vocals instead of the... Yeah, the which for anybody who knows the song, he's the one who sings, where my mind is for... You know, the good yeah. singer. Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it just it just always kind of confounds me, and we've talked about it many times on the podcast. Like, you can do a solid cover. It's a good cover. It's nice to listen yeah. to. But if you're not going to make it your own, like if you weren't inspired to cover the song to do it in a certain way, unless you're playing at bars and getting people to sing along right. with you, why would you do it that way? Why wouldn't you make it your own song? I don't get it. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you on that. And the fact that that is arguably his second biggest hit. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, I remember when that came out and was getting played on the radio all the time right. in 2002. Uh, is that all you had to say about it, Nick? Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. Otherwise... So I'll talk about it. Um, I will say, I guess I do kind of echo that it's a bit more palatable. So in my eyes, he went from like a knockoff Eminem who tried to sing country as well to the country version of Three Doors Down, mm. where it's just kind of generic all the way through. 
Uh, he's not really adding anything to the genre. He's not really writing in a clever way. It all just kind of exists. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can use um, the word clever and Uncle Cracker in the same sentence. Yeah, it all just kind of exists. And I, and I will say, I know we're hating on him very hard. The only credit I will give him is kind of what I said for Elvis Costello. I give you credit for taking a risk and doing something that people haven't really done. I get that. Whether or not you should do it or it's a good idea, I will give you the credit for trying something new. Definitely didn't work. Definitely didn't do it in this album nearly as much. Uh, And what the result was, was just a super bland kind of country album that existed, I guess. Um, and and I'll I think go, that's that's a great uh you know review of it. It exists. Yeah, I'll go into Midnight Special. Uh, now, uh, No Stranger to Shame also had the honor of being the last album that he had with a parental advisory sticker. Right. Oh. So he definitely, from his first two albums, was like, "I'm this hardcore rapper who curses and also does country stuff." To very much like, I don't do that nearly as much. To now, I don't do it at all. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the album that came out of this one was uh, an album. I, I, have, I really have nothing to say about it. There was nothing positive about it. There was nothing negative about it. It, it just existed. Uh, okay. More in the more in the more in the vein of just a bland run of the mill country album. It felt like somebody, like honestly, I'll be honest. It felt like if we tried to write a country song, right, right, right. We, we know nothing about country. We we don't have the um the want to write country music, correct. And we would just be kind of copying the tropes of country in an album in a song, yeah. and that's what it feels like. It just feels like he doesn't want to write country. It just feels like he just is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's really all I have to say. His vocals aren't bad. He's not a bad singer. Sure. Mm-hmm. He's not a great singer, but he's not a bad singer. He's not actively a detriment on vocals. Mm-hmm. He's just all kind of just there. Yep. That's right. all I, I mean, he just exists now. He went from, I mean, the first album I actively hated to now I'm just like, ah, get old Uncle Cracker yeah. coming out with an album again. <laughs> okay. Whatever. Yeah, let's let's wrap wrap them up then. Yeah, I mean that's really all I got. All right. Do you want to go anymore? Oh no, sure? I'm more than done with Uncle Cracker. Are you sure you don't want to do do some more stuff to say? I, I do. What should I have more stuff to say? No, I'm just. Should I? I would just I like, have more. I would just like to say one thing actually. In in that there are two songs in the album, um, which I'll comment on. One of them is when I close my eyes, which felt like I think it's important that every band has a song that when you play at your concerts, people put lighters up to. And that's definitely the lighter song. Uh, okay. And then Who We Are, um, almost copying a Low Totem original. Really? I heard, oh, the name. Yeah, the name. The, the chord progression on Who We Are is the chord progression of Toes by the Zach Brown Band. And I heard yeah. it immediately. It was See, like, oh, you're just going to play that song. So it's and not the, even just the chord progression. Seriously, like the, the melody line. Yeah, right. It was like, oh my God, this is Toes. And the yeah. lyrics feel very Piano Man. Like, uh, we're all just, we oh all want our sad, for so. we are were, were pl- terrible. No, they were horrible. I, they okay. Just, they, were they were like, terrible. somebody, like, somebody was like, explain the concept of Piano Man to him, and he was like, oh, I, I can I can write this song about <laughs> okay, that. Okay, I'm not even kidding you. I got 
like physically angry <laughs> that you just compared Uncle Cracker to Billy Joel. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> like my I, my my face is warm now. Right. <laughs> so just to try to say some things that you guys didn't cover besides how cliche and ridiculous this whole whole trope of an album was, uh, nothing annoys me more than when someone like Uncle Cracker says you got that thang with a T-H-A-N-G, or nothing changes, N-U-T-H-I-N apostrophe. And just, like, shut up. Just shut up. Also, nothing changes. Nothing changes where he literally sat there singing about how rich he is and how he has everything in the world going for him, and he's got yachts, and he's got his whole life is perfect, and he has so much money he doesn't know what to do with it. Who is relating to that that likes country music? Who is that for? I don't even understand it within the genre of like country cliche. He's like trying to take the braggadocious nature of rap lyrics and turn them into a country song. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, who is going to relate to this song? It makes no sense. That's more to the point that I was saying. He doesn't really want to write country music. No. He is only writing this because this is what is selling for him. Yeah, no, it was was garbage. The only other thing I can can think of is to, to add is that like, if you're Uncle Cracker and you're writing this record, why would you reference the Allman Brothers and the Zac Brown Band and John Mellencamp and Frank Sinatra when every time I hear any of their names in this record, I'm like, oh, I should turn this off and go listen to them instead. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, like, yes. don't bring that up. That is part of the thing of he like, thinks he's up there with them. all of the lyrics to all the Low Totem songs were how much we love the Beatles, people would be like, oh, yeah, maybe, the Beatles are really yeah. good. We should go listen to them instead. Maybe if he says it enough, he, he thinks yeah, that he wants to be in that conversation. True. Yeah. Oof. All right. Yeah, I I'm mean, done. Listen, I'm done on. with them. I'm done with them. I'm gonna give you my number one positive for Uncle Cracker. He has not released Police an album in eight, eight years, years. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's score him. All right. Okay. I mean, all of the the nonsense that we're saying aside, he did have some hits in the early 2000s. Yeah, he, he definitely is culturally hits. impactful. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying even halfway there, but. He's not just like one hit. He had like at least three that people knew. Yeah. Um. I'm okay giving him three points for that. I would. I, he has really dropped off the face of the earth since like oh four. Whenever uh, I, Smile came out, you know. I have some bad news for you, Pat. Oh no! Is he working on a new album? Oh no! It was 2009 when Smile came out, so no one's heard an Uncle Cracker song for 11 years. Uh, he's releasing new music soon that's terrible he, he released a song in in july of 2020 called no time to be sober okay i i already <laughs> despise that song oh I'm my gosh to it. glad to know he's changed his ways yeah really he's really matured quite a bit okay. why do you think he's gonna actually change his name i don't know because i mean can we talk about just how stupid that name is it's it's very dumb so can we give him a three and move on i don't want to yes. talk about him anymore. yeah i'll give him a three Okay, Breath of Work, five records. Uh, we talked about how Follow Me is the only reason why Double Wide sold, and it sold Double Platinum uh, for that reason and that reason only. I it had to assume. And seriously, I, wa- I want to be very obvious here. If you are listening to this podcast going, I enjoyed Double Wide. I like country rap. I would like you <laughs> to you personally really? reach out to me. Please. Yes. I would love like, to hear the Go on low underscore totem there. on our Instagram. DM us with the reason you liked it. Yes. I am genuinely curious. Agreed. And you have to leave yeah. out Follow Me. Right. Follow Me <laughs> yeah. is yeah. a cheap And then No Stranger to Shame had Drift Away, which is his second biggest hit probably. Right. And that helped it get to gold, I guess, on the strength of him selling well, too. They, they pushed for him. So, yeah. I mean, some credit there, but the quality is so bad. 
I mean, like, if we're saying he's, like, slightly under five for five records, and then those certifications maybe push him slightly above five, I'm saying the quality is bringing him back down again. Yeah, I agree oh, with if that. He, yeah, he is well under. So he doesn't hit average. No, he shouldn't be sniffing. No, but he shouldn't. I'm just just trying to say, like, he wouldn't have been far from average just in terms of number. And then with certifications, that would have pushed him, like, to a 5-1-5-2. But with quality, we got to take him way down Yeah, I don't even know if that would put him up there because, I mean, four albums or five albums is below average, so that puts him. Sure, but most people don't ever have a double platinum record, and I think that has to count for something or else the the category doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I would have been ceilinged. If if every album was good, I still would have been ceilinged around a five. It would have been – I would have been closer to a high five for that one, but still. That's wild. Well, I'm just saying if the, if uh, the no. albums are good, if you, ha- if you hit the five and you hit it with thresholds and you like hit it with I would like to harken back to, a, to an, uh, an episode we did last season. Uh, there was a band we did. It was okay. called. We're, we're not doing this. <laughs> it was called Young the Giant. Right. Who had five albums that we all liked. Four. No, five. Are you sure? No. Okay. I'm not sure at all. Okay. Somebody go anyway, rewatch the episode. Right, so no, we're, I just we're like all to bring it up. that his quality is so bad that it is bringing him down from where he normally would have been around a five, five, Ugh. one, maybe. Like I'm just I trying guess. to go through the process and give credit for those things before taking it I will, all yeah, away. I will give him credit for releasing albums, but also I will take away points for him releasing albums. Yeah, exactly. And uh, what does that leave us at? Maybe <sighs> zero. Well, it can't be as I, I, in good conscience, could not give him more than four and a half. That's the highest I would be willing to ever go. I don't even want him that thank high. Thank God. Oh, thank God. I'm, I'm just saying like that we have- Like a four two. Sure. I'm fine with that. Four two. Now, I'll play devil's advocate. No. Okay. I mean, I think you were missing my, my point was just three. that, like, you have to incorporate <laughs> those, like, little bit of bumps that you get for the thresholds before I know, taking I it back down for the quality. You want him I to be know. a three. I, I well, he could be a four. I just don't, okay. So I don't you want like us to give him a flat four? Are you arguing us down? Because I'm I'm very will. I'm in a the mood where I could be argued down to a four for Uncle Chris. Listen, let's just let's just go for it. None of the songs feel good. Okay, and it, it feels like it's music just to be released. Instrumental. And seriously, I, not to burst anybody's bubble, but listen to the lyrics of "Follow Me," because you might be sitting here thinking like, "Oh, that song's not that bad." The entire message of that song is like, I don't care that you have a significant other cheat on him. With it's like me. you're married, but yeah, that's correct. Yeah, like I mean, it's just disgusting. It's not good. Not good. Okay. All right. Uh, instrumental talent. <laughs> Nothing uh, impressive yeah. here. No. Nothing impressive here. He's an okay uh, singer and a horrible rapper. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I will say he is a mediocre singer. He's yeah. not a bad yeah. singer. I mean, he's the, a better singer than Elvis Costello. The instruments on the records were fine. Okay. Yeah, but he didn't play them. Correct. Uh, the only one, the, and honestly, the only really good uh, instrument was uh, Michael the bass. the bass. Yeah, slapping the bass. Right, I'm saying they were they were fine. They were they weren't like sticking out like sore thumbs in a terrible. Yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, I this saying. might be his best category, other okay. than cultural impact. I'm not I'm not hitting no, average his, with him. His be- what? I'm not hitting average with him. Oh God, no. He's but he's above a four two. I'm okay with. That. I think his vocals are meh. Okay. I mean, his vocals are average, and the instruments are average, but How the rap puts it so down bad. to maybe like a four and a half. All right, perfect. Uh, songwriting talent. Not uh, good. No, no, no. <laughs> Here's and, what and I will say. You know, uh, Alex mentioned that even Follow Me was, was written, written by Michael yeah. Bradford primarily, and Drift Away was a com- was a full-on cover. Yes. So even his biggest hits were written by other people. Um, I'm I'm sitting at like... 
2.7. Great. Okay. The Co- credit is that he did, in fact, have a writing credit on all of the songs. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's fine. Poetic talent, and this is where his writing credit on all the songs really brings him down, uh, because yeah, he yeah. is terrible at writing. Yes. Um, I, if I, you I, want people to cheat on their significant others, you know, with with you, well, that's one of his. This might be songs. might be a ten. Uh, I'm I'm willing to give him a flat two. I was thinking a flat two, surely for the fact that there are so many artists that release mostly covers. And this guy is at least writing, writing. all of sure. this. So you get extent, credit yeah. for that. You get credit yeah. because you did write the lyrics of your of one of the most popular songs he in the 2000s. He was able to complete poems. Two. He was able to create lyrics. There is I no wouldn't call X them factor. poems. Well, fair enough. There's no X factor here, unless I'm wrong. Um, no. No, there's okay. no X factor. Moving on to Thin Lizzy. All right, so Thin Lizzy, uh, they're an Irish hard rock band. They were formed in Dublin in 1969. And uh, yeah, that's it. They were active from 69 to 83, and then on again, off again throughout the rest of the years with varying lineups. That's pretty much it. Um, And they are are who we're doing now. Um, Yes. Hopefully, (laughs) hopefully you guys... uh, if you guys listened to any of the Uncle Cracker stuff, like I know some of our some of here. our fans, well, no, some of our fans will listen to the albums Correct. that we're talking yeah. about, mm. which is we recommend so that way you can listen along with experience. us. Please um, forgive us. <laughs> yeah, we're sorry for making yeah, you listen. There to Uncle are Cracker. times when that will not pay off. Yeah, at times like this, I'll tell you that Nick is the primary person who schedules the acts. I mean. W- did you want me to put them all together? Should I? We have done an Uncle Cracker Pavement New York Dolls episode. Uh. <laughs> well, we have to do them. <laughs> Look, sorry to put that oh, thought in your head. Oh gosh! So we listened to Thin Lizzy from yeah, 1971. we to 1971's Thin Lizzy. Uh, then we listened to 1976's Jailbreak, which, by the way, blew my mind that that was one only a gold record, yeah. and two the only U.S. gold that Thin Lizzy ever had. Yeah, Thin Lizzy was which is thoroughly like, underrated. Yeah, I could not believe that. Like, I mean, yeah. it's a name I've always known. I've right. always known the songs, the big ones. Yeah, I mean, wild. You, you knew the one. I mean, we all know the one song. Well, and Jailbreak and Whiskey, their version of Whiskey yeah. in the Jar. Like, I was familiar with those. Everything that was a hit for them. I knew their version of Whiskey in the Jar after Metallica's, though. Ooh. Okay. Like I, I had which was very inspired well known, by Thin Lizzy's. Yeah, but I'd yeah. very much known the Whiskey in the Jar. Right. Like I definitely had heard. Uh, Metallica's version. Sure. Uh, but then we closed out our listening with Thunder and Lightning from 1983. Yeah. So uh, the first thing I want to say before I start talking about the album. Sure. Very impressive that you had 12 albums in 12 years. Oh, my yeah, God. 100%. Like, incredible. You were just cranking out music. Like, that's that's yeah. incredible. Right. And it's not like they were, you know, throwing a ton of covers or anything in there. Either, no. You know, I, like they did some traditional pieces and this and yeah. that. But like they were mostly writing these songs. Right. So I, I will uh, I'll actually kick it off to Alex to start talking about um, the debut album. So the debut album of Finn, Finn Lizzie was called. Thin Lazy. Yes, our favorite uh, thing, an yes. eponymous album. Yes, and um, I really enjoyed this album. It felt kind of uh, a little bit more folk, kind of classic Rocky, but not like so much folk that you're like, oh, this is a folk album. It still feels like a rock album. Sure. Um, a lot of acoustic um, instruments and uh, elements to the songs, and one of my favorite things, uh, the songs are longer. 
we have some seven minute songs, some um, some six minute songs, four minute songs. Um, generally, they all kind of hang around the three to four minute mark. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's really a good album. Um, I think that the instrumentation and how everything is kind of uh, interacting with each other is really good. The bass is really uh, in the forefront, which is wonderful. Always yeah. my favorite thing, personally. Right. Which makes sense because the lead singer is also the bass. Correct. Yes. The lineup. Um, and overall, I think it's just a, a really solid album. And yeah. It's good. Yeah. Pat, I'll let you. Uh... Uh, so I will say, uh, since we just talked about Phil Lynott, mm-hmm. I was absolutely shocked to find out that he was a black man. I had never oh, you known didn't know that. that. Oh, really? I, I that. had no idea. I mean, mm-hmm. I've heard a couple of their songs, but I, I seriously like that. Just adds a whole other layer to this. I mean, we're talking the early seventies over, yeah, in Ireland, like in Ireland, Ireland and, and he stuff. was pretty much the first like successful yeah. black artist to come out of Ireland. I mean, just yeah. absolutely incredible. I did not know that, which is really cool. I mean, yeah, it is really awesome. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, though, the band—I'm not sure who was who—but the band was mixed between Catholics and Protestants. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. That is also yeah. true. Uh, so, I really enjoyed this album. I I had a lot of positives. Um, I did really appreciate the kind of folk rock sound. I liked that they mixed it up a little bit. So, when I think of uh, Thin Lizzy, obviously, like we had mentioned in our uh, initial blurb, you think hard rock. Yeah. 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 Not really what you get here. Yeah. You get a lot more like drawn back acoustic, a lot more folk blues in there a little bit. Uh, really enjoyable though. Uh, I really like uh, Lynott's voice. Yeah, it's unique. It's very mm-hmm. unique. It, he has this like tone to it that where it just all kind of sounds effortless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also not like showboaty. That's a really good way yeah. to describe it. Uh, I really like the versatility. That was my big thing that I wrote. Versatility. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were so they were in between the ages of twenty and twenty four when they recorded this album. So really young and you kind of feel a little bit of that like nervous energy particularly for me in the guitar okay so eric bell is the guitarist for this album Mm -hmm. and i thought that while he played well throughout definitely it always just felt like he was afraid to be the lead instrument i get that okay uh it i always got this sense of like a little bit of like a subdued feeling yeah that's interesting like he definitely was good but I feel like he didn't take the chances. Okay. Uh, that was my only negative I had for the album. I really enjoyed every single song. I loved Diddy Levine. Yeah. I loved it. Oh, it yeah, was 100%. seven minutes, and I loved every second of it. It was this great little folk blues mix throughout. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit, of, a little bit more kind of harder the more you got into the song, but also still really folky and relaxed. Yeah. All in all, really solid album. Yeah, no, I, I'm in full agreement. Um, I way more of psychedelic influences, kind of like sneaking their way into yeah. songs than I anticipated, which was really cool. Uh, I really thought that there were some spots where Eric Bell like stumbled onto genius. Okay, uh, there was some really great guitar work. Honesty is no excuse. Right uh, close to the top of the record, I yeah. thought was some of his best work. It felt to me maybe. Like to see where you were getting from, he was sort of trying to get a Hendrixy sound. Okay, where like the psychedelic blues, hard rock influence. Yeah, so maybe and instead who of are you going to think of besides right. psychedelic hard rock blues, but Hendrix? So you I know? guess you're saying maybe in, instead of him just being timid and reserved, he was just trying to be not himself. 
It it could have been that. that it okay, been that. And I, I mean that's he, a valid potential point, right? Or his his inspiration took over. He hadn't necessarily found his own voice on the instrument. Uh-huh. Um, but not bad. Like always, good to listen to yeah, his guitar definitely. playing. Uh, I also thought it was interesting that for uh, the acoustic guitar pieces, it was also Phil Lynott playing. Uh, he did the rhythm guitar on on this uh, record as well. And one of those acoustic pieces that really stood out to me was uh, Saga of the Aging Orphan, which I thought was a really fantastic song. Um, and I would also say definitely get the uh, bonus track version because yeah. uh, Dublin right away, which was the first oh, bonus yeah. track, was phenomenal. Uh, really enjoyed it. Lionel's voice so unique. These guys are really like riff machines. That's what I came to realize, like from taking the yeah. Thin stuff I knew, plus listening to this, it was like, oh, these guys are just great at writing riffs, guitar and bass. That's kind of like what makes it work. Yeah, I can totally understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah, so I'm just going to roll right into Jailbreak. Yes, you are. So at this point, uh, by the time Jailbreak comes out, it's their f- sixth album, and none of them had gotten uh, any kind of certifications anywhere. The first four didn't even chart anywhere. It wasn't until their fifth album that they even hit uh, the top 50 in Sweden at 49. Yeah. Uh, so, which is wild to me. Uh, but Jailbreak, they were basically kind of told by their label, this is your chance to succeed, or that's kind of going to be it for you. Yeah. So they knew uh, very consciously that they had to to find a hit on here somewhere. I think to some extent, it influenced the way that they wrote, but not necessarily in a negative way. It didn't feel to me like they were desperately looking for a hit here, um, but they just maybe cleaned up what they were doing a little bit. And, right. And it worked really well. I mean, I think this is another uh, really excellent record, and it's got prop. I mean, definitely their two biggest hits, I would say, and The Boys Are Back in Town and Jailbreak, which <laughs> yeah. are... Both fantastic songs. Um, really interesting now that the full lineup is together. Like in the first record, we didn't hear them with two lead guitars. We didn't have the two lead guitars as uh, Scott Gorham and Brian Robertson, who are now with the band, and it's now their like more traditional lineup. And having the uh, we talked about this a couple times before with like the Allman Brothers. Uh, but having those guitars playing leads and riffs in harmony with each other yeah. adds an extra layer that really, really brings depth to the track and, and makes them super awesome to listen to. Uh, I also really enjoyed the fact that they, for the first time, I think, added keyboards on a song. Yeah. Uh, the track Running Back, where they had uh, Tim Hinckley come in uh, to play, play the keys on that, and I think it worked out really well. Uh, I mean... It's it's another really strong record. I think they're really clicking here. You know, this new lineup has has found themselves, and uh, all good. I have no complaints about the record. Cool, cool, cool. Alex, what did you think? So for me personally, I um thought that the album was was good. Um, I think they took a, a turn here toward a lot more hard rock that yeah. was kind yeah. of you know the hair band kind of sound of the time. Even though this was released in 76, I think this was kind of the start for a lot of hair bands getting their sound. And while I didn't dislike the album at all, there was there were the 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 main songs like Jailbreak Warriors and The Boys Are Back in Town um felt too too hard rock for me. Like I really liked the sound that they got in the first album 
and they definitely d- went away from that. Whereas for me, songs that stood out were um, Romeo and the Lonely Girl, Fight or Fall, and the Cowboy song mm-hmm. were were wonderful. And I think they those were songs that were a lot, felt a lot more Thin Lizzy. Like if you played those songs for me after listening to the first album, I would understand it. Whereas if you played, you know, The Boys Are Back in Town after the, I heard the first album, I would think like, what happened that? changed the right. band because sure. it was a totally different sound yeah no i get that um but it, over, it was still a really strong album like me talking about like that doesn't mean i don't like it like i really do like it yeah it's just a little different than what i wanted from them like sure. with how promising the first album sounded to me sure i totally get where you're coming from um should we let robert Criscow go we know how <laughs> no because okay, um, he I, had some terrible things to say. Yeah, I really did enjoy this album. I thought it was neat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I liked that it, they were going into kind of the harder sound because as much as I preferred the first album, I still, like, that's when I think of Thin Lizzy, that's the sound I think of. Yeah. So it was like kind of like a welcome home kind of thing when I when you listened to uh, Jailbreak. I did notice that there was at least three or four songs before the boys are back in town where I was like, is this the boys are back in town? <laughs> like uh, the riff was very like running back very particularly. Like it had this nice folky vibe, but the very beginning had that same like, like yeah. the beginning of the boys sure. are back in town. It was very interesting. Uh, but all the way through, I again, I like the stuff that they're doing. I like I like the different tones. I like that kind of harder vibe. I like the message of these songs. Like all throughout this record, there's a very like cleverly hidden message about like the trials of war. Mm. I mean, cleverly hidden until you get a song like Warriors, sure, right. which is pretty much about killing a man during a war. Uh, but for the most part, like there's a lot of stuff that is kind of hidden underneath the surface of the of the writing. Sure. So you would say. These songs are uh, Bruce Springsteen castoffs, and that Lionel's lyrical ideas are boring. No, I think Robert Criscow is a hack. Yeah, he also said Gorham's guitar lines were secondhand. Yeah, which I disagree I mean, with. I think they're really great riffs. So we've we've gone over a few Criscow uh, reviews. Have we ever agreed with one? Uh, I intentionally only read the ones where we disagree thoroughly. So sometimes <laughs> As you agree. should. Yeah, uh, you know it makes it a little <laughs> bit more interesting. Yeah, um, but if he would like to come on the show, sure. see, is he alive? Uh, I believe so. Good. Yeah, if he would like to come on the show, sure, we'll take that. <laughs> we, yeah, we could. Uh, we could talk about why he's wrong about most artists. Uh, but anyway, that's really what I have. Uh, a lot of a lot of great stuff. Uh, to to come to your point, yeah, I loved that like kind of dueling guitar riff yeah, that oh, happened yeah. in Emerald at the end, the closing track. Mm-hmm. Really well done. Totally. Uh, th- them having two guitars, right? That kind of became their signature throughout. once it happened yeah. it was like the, the dueling lead guitarists that's that was right Lizzie's so thing. going into thunder and lightning um they have fully embraced the hard rockness very very prominent sound throughout at this point uh which creates a little bit less diversity uh, it's still good they're still all in their prime which kind of happens when your last album is only 12 years after your first yeah, album right. They kind of have the quote-unquote benefit of not having the same drop-off of 
artists whose last album came out 50 years later, they're, they just don't have the same drive to them. Right. So, like, there's there's something to weigh there. Uh, they they still had that hard rock sound. Um, a lot of their songs have really driving stuff to them. Yeah. A bit of a darker vibe, uh, lyrically, though. Mm. Just a bit. On a couple tracks, um, the, the song uh, Heart Attack yeah. had this really strong melody, yep. but some dark lyrics underneath it. Yeah. Uh, there's also uh, Baby Please Don't Go, which was a really nice, strong love song. But again, just a bit darker. Yeah, well, I mean, especially knowing, you know, what Phil Lynott didn't necessarily know yeah. at the time when he writes the song Heart Attack. I mean, yeah. it's very much about someone dying of an overdose, and he would die of an overdose just a few years afterwards, yes. which is pretty tragic. Very, very tragic. Um, going far too soon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely an underrated talent as a songwriter. Uh, For sure. Who who we lost. Uh, that but yeah, was, that, that's pretty much yeah. what I had to say. I, more of the same, that's not a bad thing. Uh, at this point, their sound has fully shifted from folky blues to hard rock blues, more into strict hard rock. It felt like, I mean, the first thing I was like, oh, they're metal now. Yeah. yeah. And they, they weren't getting always close. metal. They were like, half of these tracks are metal. Yeah. Half of them are metal. Uh, not like heart, Metallica metal, but no. but still definitely early metal music so this was definitely my least favorite of the three yeah um still very listenable yeah still very listenable um it did the metal sound didn't always necessarily come at the cost of like losing melody in the guitar lines because on a few occasions it did but most of the time there was still like distinctive melodies being played on guitar uh in the leads and in the riffs so that was still enjoyable to some extent i mean I could still get some of their bluesier sound surviving underneath that too. Much less, little, but I get much where less, you're coming from. Yeah. But I mean, whereas a lot of other metal is more classically inspired, I definitely felt like they were starting to move towards those tones. Yeah. But there was still maybe more of a rooting, a deep root in blues music and less so in kind of uh, yeah. adding in that classical influence. I mean, aside from what you said about the lyrics... I just say, you know, I'm disappointed that this is the direction they went in, but it wasn't bad. I mean, it's just okay. Not is your this, style. But... Is this an album I'm going to revisit? Not really. But am I going to revisit the other ones from before this? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's good. Um, what did you 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 got to go still, right? Uh, yeah. I'm not going to add much to it. I think you guys are tackling all the points, and I'm I'm going to say, um, it, it certainly wasn't you know their best album, but it like in terms of all the albums ever put out, it's. Certainly not a bad one. Yeah, if this is your worst record, it's then it, you've done something exactly, right. Exactly, yeah. And um, I think The Sun Goes Down is a really good song. I think that was the highlight mm -hmm. of, the, of the album for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, Someday She's Gonna Hit Back. Um, I think that was a good one. I can't remember. Okay. It could have been a good song. It could have been a good song. It might be good. That there, one sticks out to me as, as one that I was listening to. Okay. Um, uh, but, you know, overall, I think it was, it was a nice... It was a good record, not their best. Yeah. Um, well, right. I guess let's just score them. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Okay, so starting with Cultural Impact, um, I think they're more than a one-hit wonder, but not by a lot, sort of yeah. like in the realm yeah. of Fog Hat, whereas there's yeah. one huge song and then a couple of minor hits on top. Okay. 
Um, so, I mean, what are we thinking number-wise, then? I mean, we gave Foghat a 1.6. I would give them a little bit higher. I would Two. give Thin Lizzy a little bit higher. I think Thin Lizzy is definitely a name that more people would recognize yeah. right for away. Sure. For sure. Uh, so two-ish? Yeah, yeah that's, I think, I so think a two works. Yeah, which is a shame. I mean, I wish it was higher. Yeah. They should have definitely sold more based on uh, on what we heard. So Breath of Work, uh, Pat, as you mentioned, they put out 12 albums. In 12 years. I, I don't even know how it's that incredible. is possible. I mean, um, the pace is just wow. Yeah, so that's double. Um we know that most of that stuff until they drifted more metally was quite good. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of passable when it was later on. It was just kind of a- very average to me um, towards the end. But most of their discography, I think, would qualify as, as a boost. Uh, yeah, for quality. I think so. Yeah, for sure. It's just blowing my mind that they only have one gold record in the U.S. I mean, they had several golds in the U.K., um, they had yeah. one, two, three, four golds and two silvers in the UK. So that still counts for something. I mean, it doesn't, they're not going to get bumped a lot in terms of thresholds, but it right. should give them a little something to get a bunch of gold Yeah, records. but I mean, you're talking double the average, all good quality music. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this is, this is not going to be a weak point for them. No, no. for, for no um, doubt in my mind. I mean, they're above average for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think a good thing to, to harken back to is honestly Elvis Costello, who put out 11 solo records, uh, the quality was excellent, and you know his th- sales thresholds were kind of iffy, but he hit them sometimes. So I think Thin Lizzy is a very good uh, comparison right, to that, right. honestly. So we put Elvis Costello to seven. Yeah, and I think maybe they go just a bit under. Maybe like a I think 6. a smidge under is correct. Seven or eight. I think a six point seven is fine. Yeah, right around there. That's you know, fair. Close, but not quite as yeah. much. Uh, but I will definitely say, of the three artists we listen to today, Thin Lizzy is going to win instrumental talent, hands down. Oh, 100%. I mean, they're very good. Absolutely. They're very good. Yeah. Uh, and the vocals don't detract like they do sometimes. With no, I mean, I, I think Phil Lynott's a really good singer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, I would definitely say this is probably going to be uh, higher than their Breath of Work score, which was a 6.7. Yeah, I, th- I was actually going to say I would give them a 7. Yeah, I yeah. think that's fair. A 7 is fair. Uh, and then on songwriting talent. So I think that they do a lot of really interesting things. Mm-hmm. I think that they combine different genres, uh, the blues, uh, that kind of more hard rock, or some folk in there. Yeah, I think that they they show a growth in their music. They don't try to do the same thing over and over again. You can see the path that they chose, mm-hmm. even though, Nick, you may disagree with the path that they chose. Sure, no, no, no. I, but I... there is definitely the path of like, folksy blues then a kind of folksy kind of hard rock with a little bit of blues um and then more towards the hard rock with like maybe an undertone of blues yeah um and then with a psychedelic spring yeah i mean they're not they're not elvis costello but they're not bad at songwriting at all no i mean they're above average yeah i I would agree i would totally agree i'm just i'm we're not in that super high realm but we're above average yeah we're above average i think i mean i would put them in the sixes i was just thinking that yeah uh, not too much over six for me. No, under uh, a six five. Yeah, in that, I was thinking like a range. six two. I, that would works. Be a fair yeah. score for them. Uh, and then poetic talent, and I also think Phil Lina, um definitely took his writing seriously. Yeah, uh, very totally seriously. agree. You can tell. And uh, th- I think they should score well here too. Yeah. Um, hmm. I just think there's so many things that he does really well where he writes these these stories. 
I'm a sucker for when you, you write something that's like a good story. Sure. Yeah. I get you it. You know, like there's two different ways that I would like that I like to think of songwriting. Are you telling a story where I can relate to you? Mm-hmm. Or are you telling a story where I can relate it to myself? Sure. Mm. And if you do if you manage to do both of those things, you're super upper echelon. Sure. If you do one of those things really well, you're in the middle upper echelon. Gotcha. And I think he's in the middle upper echelon. I think that's fair. I think he can tell stories that I can relate to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then sometimes I can relate to me. Sure. Uh, get, but totally it doesn't feel like he's just trying to appeal to the masses. Right. You know, that's where somebody like, you know, Uncle Cracker to bring it back. <laughs> That's where he falters. Is yeah. It feels like he's trying to write a song that the most people would relate to. Yeah. Right. I and agree. So, I mean, I'm in, again, probably the higher sixes, over six and a half. How about a 6.8? That works. Yeah. Uh, and do we have uh, an X Factor? I don't think we do. So, before well, wait, we- Wait, wait, wait. Uh, do you? I might. Okay. I might, because I, it, well, it depends. I would, even if we don't X Factor, I would like to take a second to shout out Phil Lynott's mother. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, her name is Philomena Lynott. And she was 19 years old when she had Phil. Uh, and she sent him to live with her parents in Dublin. So she's the reason that Thin Lizzy even existed. Okay, yeah, um, right. Uh, because she felt like him being uh, an illegitimate child and a mixed race child. Mm, yeah, right. Would could... not have been good for him in England. Yeah, right. So she sent him to live with her parents in Dublin. And her life is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, just the fact that so she's the one who found Phil mm-hmm. uh, when he was dying. Oh, wow. And she had okay. no idea about his drug addiction. Uh, so she called his uh, estranged wife, I believe, at the time. Okay. I don't know if they were still together at right. the time, but the marriage had fallen apart at that point. And... Um, she was like taken to the hospital. She was with him when he died by his bedside. She like took a lot of her life, not only helping to get Phil's story out there as yeah. one of the most prominent, you know, the first really successful black musician from Ireland. Ireland yeah. Um, and also taking the time to like get the statue of him erected. Mm. Uh, she wrote her memoirs about him and his life and being his mother. Uh, just she dedicated a lot of her life to getting his story told, right? While also at the same time being a very heavy advocate for the LGBT community. Oh, really? And she was the one who, if you're familiar with this, uh, during okay. I want to say Mitt Romney's campaign. Okay. Uh, and it wasn't just Mitt Romney, but the Republican Party in general. They were using the boys. Using are back the in boys town. are back in town, and she was the one who was like. If you knew Phil or my yeah. struggle in life with Phil, the Republican Party doesn't fit I was going to say, if I had a, a nickel for every classic rock artist whose songs have been used and then have uh, by a political party, usually yeah. Republicans, uh, that have then been complained to and given cease and desist orders, yeah. we could retire from this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's true, but... But seriously, she was very much like outspoken for the LGBT community, outspoken for, you know, all of those things like make everything legal, you know, kind of supporting of that. So, you know, whether or not it's worth an X factor, sure. I just wanted to shout out Philomena Lynott. Uh, she did tragically pass away in 2019. 
uh, from a long bout of, with cancer. Mm. Uh, but there is one quote. Okay. So she said, I still listen to his music every single day. I go over and I pour water onto his gravestone. And then when I leave, I give it a kick for breaking my heart. Uh, so shout out to yeah. Philomena Lyon. Yeah, I'll give her a point one. It's worth it, right? I'll give her I a mean, one. I just such an incredible. Yeah, it's woman. also interesting that when Thin Lizzy did finally get back together after like eight years, they are like strictly a Thin Lizzy cover band. They only yes. do Phil songs still. The, so to they this day. so, but they do record. So the Thin Lizzy lineup, they do record and put out new music under a band named the Black Star Riders. Ah, okay. They were, I know they refuse to re- produce new Thin Lizzy music out of respect for Phil. Yeah, right. Which I think is, if that's, that's not Very such cool. an amazing yeah. dedication, no, yeah, absolutely. Like, and I wish other bands had did that. Yeah. Leonard Skinner. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> all right. Let's uh, let's wrap things up here. We, yeah, let's do it. We so, we talked a lot. Uh, I'm going to start with our unfortunate loser for today's episode, and I don't think anyone's going to be able to guess that our loser was Uncle Cracker with a score of sixteen point two. I'm shocked he got that high. Uh, agreed. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then, uh, did you want to do anything yeah, special? Yeah, yeah. So we're going to we do it the... different now because we're doing drops. Yeah. So we're going to announce the winner and we're right. going to go. And the winner is. Okay. And the winner is Elvis Costello with a score of 36 flat. Ooh, okay. One of our highest scoring. Uh, yeah, we're getting there. Good job definitely. to Elvis Costello. What yeah. did uh, what did Thin Lizzy get in second Thin place? Lizzy, uh, very respectable, 28.8, yeah, especially starting bad. down. Uh, yeah. on cultural impact so yeah cultural impact is one of those things where it's it has to really be included but it can really hurt the more popular yeah the more po- talented artists yes not right mainstream success is such a huge part of long-standing fame correct and it's just you know unfortunate that sometimes it strikes negatively yeah all right well it's been a it's been a pleasure yeah it's been an yeah, absolute been. pleasure uh why don't we talk about what we're doing next week i would love to we have a very special episode for you guys next week, uh, and I'm not. It's a themed episode, and I don't want to say too much. But yeah. the first episode, uh, the first artist we'll be covering on that episode will be the Big Bopper. So yeah, figure out what that theme will be for yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, if you're enjoying Totem Talks, uh, feel free to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, maybe follow us on you know Instagram low underscore Totem. Uh, use the hashtag Totem Talks to let us know how we're doing. You can even DM us on Instagram to let us know how we're doing. Let us know if there's anything you'd like to see more of, see less of, you know, anything fun like that. Uh, and most importantly, have a great day. Mm-hmm.